session. All right, Playboy. Um, so first off, the amount of guests I've had since Worlds, um, everyone from like Russ Lorhe and Bob Matthews and the USAPL to like, um, you know, Penna and fucking, I had the fellas on for the for the women's recap that I'm about to drop. And uh, I mean, uh, every single guest I've had, everybody wow. is, everybody is like, holy shit. What Anna did in the 83 kilo, uh, Delaney Wallace, I had Delaney on and he was talking yeah, about, it. he was talking about it. And, you know, he was saying how, like everybody, I had Bob Matthews on and Bob Matthews said, that 385 kilo, 847 pound attempt, which you, even though you missed, you locked it out. He's like, that might've been the greatest single lift I've ever seen in powerlifting period. And it's like, I'm not even sure I could disagree with that. Even though it didn't pass, it was insane, man. I, 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 I couldn't, nobody could believe that this was what you're about to load up. You know, just for anyone listening, if someone didn't see what was happening in the 83s, um, you know, throughout the day, and we'll walk through the day, everybody had been hyping Tim Monogatti versus Delaney Wallace, and myself included. They both had totaled, they totaled in the 800s, you know, kilos. Um, you know, obviously Delaney's totaled 822 and a half. Like he's, he's, you know, these are monsters. But when you walked in there, when we got to the subtotal, your subtotal was 417.5. Delaney, Delaney was 487 and a half. Jurens was 467 and a half. Owen Hubbard was 490. Tim Monogatti was 460. Your subtotal was 417.5, my friend. Nobody was looking your way. Everyone's like... He might be top five or whatever. We'll see what happens. You opened up with uh, what the fuck? Let me take a look and we'll go through this. I'm not going to jump ahead too much. I promise. <laughs> but you opened up with 345.5. Yeah. <clears throat> you opened up with a world record, man. <clears throat> and what you did in the deadlift event, it was like the craziest shit I've ever seen in my life. And I've been doing this for like over half a decade. I never seen nothing like this, man. But for you to end up with that, you loading up a 385, it was like standing room only, everyone in the warm-up room running to the sides to see what, what the hell was going on. Everybody was on their feet. And it was like sometimes in sports, you witness somebody about to do something so fucking crazy. It's like if it's basketball and somebody's on the other side of the court and they the buzzers are about to go, about to end the game. And they just fucking shoot anyways. And it's like, this is a Hail Mary shot. There's, you're on the wrong yeah, side yeah. of the court, sir. And they're like, I'm, I got one second left. I'm going to fucking shoot. Shoot or shoot, kid. Shoot or shoot, kid. Yeah. And he shoots and it sails. And the whole place goes, holy fuck, I think it's going to happen. And it dances around the rim and almost goes in. And even though it doesn't go in, everybody's like, holy shit you felt the magic for for a moment you tell yourself anything's possible you know it's just like the hole in one in golf it's like whatever and for a moment there my friend when you walked out to 385 847 pounds you're an 83 kilo man when you walked out to that and you're thinking 
is this a fucking the craziest of hell Marys? He chose to pull for gold when, when everybody would have thought silver and you're like, I'm pulling for gold. And when you fucking pulled that off the ground and you locked it out, it's literally for a second there where you're thinking sports again, like anything, what the, anything can happen. This guy just had one of those moments where the buzzer came and you shot because shooters shoot. Yeah. And even though like a miss or be damned, you, it, people don't remember, people don't remember everything you say, but they remember how you made them feel. And yeah. people will remember in that fucking moment when you hit that last deadlift, you know, just so you know, it was literally like I was watching and the whole thing, it was like special. You knew you were in the moment. And it was, it was that man. It was like when Conor McGregor said, when I retire, I'm going to be the first to win three titles, you know, or when Muhammad Ali, it's like when the people say shit like that and you're like, I don't know if he's good. And McGregor got two titles and ended up fighting Floyd Mayweather instead of going for a third or whatever. But the point is for a second there, you believe, fuck, holy shit. This, this bold son of a bitch, he might do this. This is fucking real. It was, it was a magical moment anyways. And I wanted to get that off the top for anyone listening who didn't see because you're living under a fucking rock because if you're in powerlifting you've seen this in every single podcast i've had people talked about it so everybody's probably who listens to the kingdom of podcast has been waiting for this podcast to hear but it was it was it was magical dude it was magical man i can't hype it up enough and everyone's super excited so now that we got that out the way let's pull it back a little and let's talk about the things that led up to this and, um, and your expectations in the day and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I'll pull it back to, I'd seen you, I think at the Hungarian nationals, pull 350, 771 yeah. pounds. Okay. Yeah, that was like, I think that was two years ago now. Two years ago. Yeah. And how old are you right now? Uh, now I'm 22. I turned 23 this year. So this is my last year as a junior. So let that sink in for anyone listening. Dog, you were 20 years old. You were yeah, when you when you pulled 350. 20 years old. Yeah. You were like like six months earlier, you were a teenager. Six months later, so you're just fresh out of your teens and you're pulling 350 kilos, 771 pounds. So everyone knew you were a problem back then. Um, it, it, but since then, leading into worlds last year, and you had that great 83 kilo deadlift battle. And guys like um you know, Caffey was in there who had previously had the world record, but also, yeah. uh, you know, the French Russ. lifter, Giannis was Giannis. in there from France. Russ, Russell or he was in there with the deadlift record, tossing it around in the middle of a deadlift battle as well. Like the deadlift battle last year in the 83s was phenomenal. Who's going to walk away with this debt with the deadlift world record? But you were, your deadlift, were you injured at that point? Uh, so for that, like, I had some issues with training, to be fair, because um, I couldn't train for two weeks. So there were four weeks before the competition, couldn't train for two weeks, had to do a two-week quick peak for the competition. So, like, my numbers were down. The goal then was just to get the deadlift world record and not really to push it. So I just needed what I needed to win at that moment. Yeah. I wasn't really pushing hard. Um, since then, well... I could talk about since then now. If yeah, you want. yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Since then, I, I tried to get back to training immediately because I was moving, starting my masters and stuff. So that was 
taxing me a bit. So I tried training after that. Then I got injured right after the competition, right after Worlds. So like my back just went out because I don't know, tried to push too hard. So I think I didn't really have any solid training until let's say February, January this year. Um, I think in January I was like, okay, this back issue isn't really getting better because then I, I was struggling to pull like two plates. Like Holy smokes! Yeah, it was bad. I couldn't squat or like I could only bench. Then after a while, my shoulder started having issues, which just became even more annoying. Um, so I think it was in February. I hit up William, my coach, William squats. And we're like, okay, we're just going to start training back because I was hoping taking a break would solve the pain, but it wasn't helping. So we decided, to, okay, we're going to start, but we're going to do some load management, release the, reduce the intensity, reduce the load and just keep going. So I wasn't even planning to do worlds in South Africa this year. I had zero plans to do that. But... Thank God you did, first off. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, do you want to know why I did it? Why did because you do it? Right after the Sheffield video dropped on Instagram. <laughs> we got you. I mean, like, I knew I wasn't, like, in a good shape to, like, even podium, but I was like, okay, Sheffield, shot. Sure. I hit up the Hungarian head coach, and I was like, I want to do what? I was in no shape to, like, my numbers were still down, back, still hurt. But I was like, <sighs> like you always say, if you get the opportunity to go take it like and i was like oh yeah sheffield i could do this in my head i was like i could go to sheffield which sounds crazy oh like trust me sounded crazy at that point so we just started building from there i think that was about 15 weeks out so we just started building slowly building slowly building slowly and coming into this the plan was just if we can podium that would be nice because we're all expecting like Delaney team and we're all going to fight for third place. So even in my head, I was like, third seems really unrealistic to be fair, but like, why not? So yeah, that's the story going in. Well, it's like, um, I mean, first off, that is crazy that you were starting at two plates. Like we all know how it ended up, <clears throat> but to think that you were like two plates aside deadlifting, and with pain and that's how this story starts like how did how quickly did this start weight moving on and was it like painful throughout did, was it always painful throughout or did you reach a point where the pain went away and you're like holy shit the, the weight starts shifting also like because i told you i decided to take a break from coaching or even like really powerlifting thinking that would help with the pain but I think actually doing load management actually helped better than just taking a complete break. So at some point, the weight started going up. I switched to heels for a while for squats. So that like took pressure off my back for a while. I eventually switched back to flats because I don't know, I'm just stronger with that. But for a while, heels helped on squats. So I wasn't really using my back for squats. And since my sumo is mostly quad focused i was able to get by with that and at some point the weights just started moving normally not like crazy numbers or anything like i was still squatting like two 
10 to 24 singles on squads, deadlifting 300 for singles. So at some point, the pain just went away. It wasn't, it's not really there now. How, how, um, <clears throat> how close to the comp did that pain start leaving though? Because there had to be a point of, you know, it's dicey because you want, like, it's true. Yeah, I always say, if you can go, go. Cause you never know. And you'll, it's an amazing experience just being there and you know how, how amazing an experience it is. Cause you've been to a couple now, but <clears throat> at some point you gotta be telling yourself, Holy shit. If I squat 210 kilo and I deadlift, like, like you, who knows where you might've ended up. So did it start turning a, when did it start turning a corner where you're like, Oh wow. I think I'm actually going to shift some big weights or did it, did you like leave? training with like your numbers way low and it's just kind of like well i hope it's there when i show up uh i would say like six weeks out that's when i started feeling better with my movements um as always bench was just still down i was like i'm just gonna take a token bench and hope for the best deadlift at that point we were like okay we're gonna pull like 800 at best like 362 um so i was like at six weeks out i was a bit more confident about myself do you find so, yeah. you so you were telling yourself you're gonna pull 800 at worlds you knew this much well in my head it's like okay i don't want to get too far but i usually like to bike around just for cardio and extra activity and anytime I'm biking around, I keep replaying the image in my head of like, I'm going to pull 380. I don't know. That number was just stuck in my head because I was like, okay, to podium, I need to pull for the weight, to pull for that podium spot. So like, I just kept ruminating in my head. I'm going to pull 380. And realistically, we are projecting 800 pounds, like 365. But in my head, I knew I had to pull up to like 380. So I guess I kind of manifested that. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, man, there's a lot to be said in terms of like mental prep for like any kind of sport where mental it, like imagery like helps put it this way. The Russians and the Olympic team develop, they, they realize like if, if I told everyone to close their eyes and picture a lemon and then all of a sudden you picture the contours of the lemon, everything about it, you picture me taking a knife and I start cutting into that lemon, your mouth is going to start watering and you will have a physical reaction to the image i'm telling you about your mouth waters and you can start tasting things and there is there is a connection where they they yeah. realize so you start imagining the chalk on your hands and what it feels like and the roar of the crowd and you start imagining yeah. pulling slack out of the bar and feel the gnarling in your hands and like it helps man there's something there to it yeah yeah and at that point i was like i think my best pull still was 350 so I was imagining bullet 30 kg of my, my over my best, which yeah, three fifty is fucking crazy. Oh yeah, but when you think about it in context, like 30 kg over your best, like traveling to the other side of the world, uh, the mental game was certainly like one of my strongest suits this prep, and I think I'm gonna utilize that more going forward, and that was really the good. <laughs> Um, I mean, it's, it's okay. Put it this way. Every other person, when they have a personal best, 
they're thinking like 300 kilos is my personal best. If I pull 320, holy shit, that's crazy because I've I've only ever pulled 300. So the pull 320 is a 20 kilo personal best for me. That's massive. I can't believe I did that. That's one thing. That's the rest of the world. But when you're doing this to yourself saying, I pulled 350, 771 pounds, but I might need to pull 380 to 385. That's 850 pound range. When you're doing that, it's not just, I need a personal best, even though it's way more than my personal best. It's, I need to do something that no other human being has ever done. And no other human being even thinks is possible. Nobody around the world was thinking in 83 kilo lifters pulling deep into the 800s. You went from, I might pull 800 to, I'm going to go halfway into the 900. That was 347 and a half. You're like, you went from like maybe 800 possible as an 83. And most people think that's fucking crazy because IPF is a stiff bar, blah, 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 right? Tested the whole nine. And you're a junior. So people thinking a junior 83 pulling 800 on a stiff bar is insane. You went beyond that until like halfway to 900. Like, so in terms of like wrapping your head around it, be like, well, it all makes sense if you think about it. Doc none of this makes sense i'm telling you as a third person like most people are listening to this be like dude this is insane but you gotta start believing anything's possible yeah exactly and you're that's that's Uh, going back to the intro when i said like that's what you're making people do is think like what the fuck is 900 possible maybe i don't know this guy's 22 what are you gonna be doing when you're 26 maybe 900. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy to think now leading into the prep, how was the shoulder in your bench press? Mm, this shoulder wasn't honestly good to be fair. Like eight weeks out, started flaring up again. I had to use like ice, ibuprofen and ice, ibuprofen. I like my bench is already pretty weak to be fair. So it was like really, really going down. Like I was benching 100 kg with pain. So, oh, wow. but it wasn't like really serious. I think it was just like some inflammation. So the ice and the ibuprofen took care of that. And bench wasn't moving super good. As always, I've always known my range of motion just gets in the way of things with bench. And that's where I appreciate like having a coach like William, where he's like, okay, we know your range of motion is the issue and you just have to take it like that and keep pushing the bench and having that reassurance where it's like, oh, I'm not, could it be because of my chest? Am I just weak and stuff like that? But having the reassurance that like, oh, it's not just about your strength. It's just your leverages are not good for this lift and we're going to keep trying to push it as much as possible. Like I got a 5K GPR on that in competition, which was really nice. So, with bench, I can't complain. The shoulder is fine right now. And yeah. It's people were saying, um, Anna almost became the 83 world champion with a 145 kilo bench. And nobody would have thought the world champion's got a 145 kilo bench. Like that's like what Agatha Shitko does 
um, in the 76 is like, people were like, oh my God, that's how monstrous this guy's deadlift is. But your squat moved up. Like you, you're squatting 600 pounds now. Like things are starting to move for you in, other, in the other. Yeah. yeah. Like with strength, I think I'm just, I think I'm strong to be fair. Um, with squats, we've just been taking it easy. We dropped deadlift down to like once a week frequency and maybe that might have had some impact on squats or I'm just getting stronger to be honest. And going to keep pushing the squats up because I don't think I like maxed out my squats. I haven't had to grind out the squats in competition. When I was talking, when we were discussing about the training, about the competition plan before Worlds, I was like, I've never actually pushed my squats. Let's try to aim for like 280. Like in competition, we end up doing 272. Yeah. But the goal with squats is just to try to keep a good total because that's where you're likely to lose the most cages on your subtotal. And I think my second attempt was 267. So if I didn't hit my third attempt, that's like 5 kg down. And for a subtotal, that's a lot. I could lose on my bench 2.5 or so. I'm fine with that. But with squats, the goal is just to keep pushing that because I'm not good at the subtotal. And I need to just push it as high as I can because that's going to make my deadlift easier. And, yeah. and you're right in that, like, if you have a smooth third squat and you still have room for your deadlift, that's huge for you. Like, like you, you're, you're 272.5. Your 601 pound squat for your third at Worlds was smooth. It wasn't, um, you probably had a little bit more in the tank. You probably could have pulled some more yeah. kilos. However, you need that for your deadlift. Like if you go all out on your squat and it's a grinder, like Penna or something, your deadlift's coming down and we know the deadlift is going to cover the biggest ground. So it is kind of like 67% of the people who miss their third squat, miss their third deadlift. You can't have that happen. Not your yeah. third deadlift. You know what I mean? You need to be as good for your third deadlift as possible. So it's kind of, you know, it's a tough, tough proposition. You want a big squat, but you don't want it to be too crazy. You know, but yeah. your squat is definitely moving. Yeah. I also don't want to like lose kilos by failing a lift. So, right. Um, uh, now, your bench press, what was the biggest bench you would hit previously in the gym? I think I hit like a grinder 140. Really? See, I thought yeah, I'd I seen you bench more, but maybe I didn't. Maybe I'm making this up in my head. <laughs> no, my best bench. In the gym was 140 and it was a grinder i think also like one good thing about my lifts so far i don't know if it's gonna stop but so far with competitions i always like peak really well you know when people say like oh yeah the taper is gonna take me away and save me and for me it actually does that because compared to all my gym lifts i hit prs on those which is like not common and i think that's one good thing about me so far hopefully it continues yeah. because it also makes it more difficult to predict what I'm going to do in competition. So you might watch my Instagram, watch my videos. Well, that's yeah, the thing. Well, you know, well, first off, are you still posting on Instagram, your training videos? Yeah. I've started posting on my new account. My last okay. account was like blocked because of my memes. Is that why? Okay. How did that happen? Yeah. Did somebody report it or something? I think Instagram just has the, new system that flags memes and i think i got flagged like twice so they decided to block the account so that also kind of helped because then i wasn't really 
seen anything on Instagram. I wasn't posting, so no one had any idea of what I was going to do. And I Dude, guess that helps to some extent. Amen to that. Even if they're watching, like in training, if they're watching, what was the biggest single that you had pulled in deadlifts? I hit 355. I actually posted that. I think that was like two weeks out. But what I didn't post was I missed 365 after that. So, oh, and you missed it. Yeah. Well, yeah. And when you hit, when you attempted it, you were, you obviously hadn't maxed out on squat and bench ahead of time. Like this was just, it was just a fresh day. And it happens. It's crazy though that. So this is like what makes the story even, even more enticing. The fact that you missed 365, but loaded up 385 and you had the decision to either pull for silver or gold. And you decided like, how did this conversation happen? Well, first off, all right, let's pull it back. Let's talk about the, let's, let's, let's pull it back to the event weighing in in the whole nine and the hype leading into the event. Um, but that's a good little caveat to have because I want to double back on that. You missed 365. So your biggest deadlift wasn't, wasn't nearly as big as who you'd end up that day. But coming in, um, what were your thoughts on the fact that all the pressure was on Tim Monogatti and Delaney Walls? They both had totaled over 800 kilo. Um, obviously, you know, Delaney had totaled as heavy as 822 and a half. It's the old rivalry between U.S. and New Zealand, which has happened so many times in the 83s for some reason. You know, ever, all the way back from Brett Gibbs to John Hack to um, Brett Gibbs to Russell Orhe a couple times over to now Delaney Wallace versus Tim. They took a lot of the hype and the pressure, though. So leading into this, were you like, were you happy they're handling the hype and they have to keep the hype on themselves and you could operate kind of in the darkness? Or were you thinking people are sleeping on me and um, they don't even, were you, did you like the fact people are sleeping on your chances or did you resent that? To be honest, like at some point I started resenting that, but I just spoke to myself and I was like, you haven't earned the right to be in the conversation. And that's just true. I like my last world's performance wasn't good. So I had to actually end the right to be in the conversation, but that wasn't really what I was aiming for. I was just like, okay, I'm going to do what I need to do to podium. Uh, basically, we were expecting Delaney and team to be unreachable. And I was happy they had some of the hype behind them because it gave more interest in that weight class. And right. that was certainly what we needed. Yeah, I mean, well, that's true, right? They, they Them both being there, created a hype and interest for the weight class and you didn't have to carry the load for that. Like they're going to carry the load and the pressure of it. And you get to be like, that's the, that's the advantage the underdog has where you guys are going to be the ones feeling the pressure. And no matter what I do that day, people are going to be surprised to be talking about me after the fact, but leading into it, I don't got to deal with any of that. Exactly. When you showed up to South Africa and you seen everybody and you see the way the venue has looked huge, by the way, huge tall ceilings the warm-up room is massive yep. did it feel which is a total contrast to the previous world championships Alico had to hold it in their actual headquarters because because of covid couldn't have a big yeah. huge venue so that for the first most times the venues of worlds are huge 
you know, tall ceilings, massive venues, whatever. That Alico um, headquarters world championships was nothing like any of the other ones. Like much smaller venue. The warm-up room was very small. Talking to Gavin Aiden, he's like, being there live at Worlds, comparing it to USAPL Nats, it's not as hype. It's not as, I'm like, my friend, hang on a second. Um, you are used to a COVID Worlds wait until you go to worlds when it's in the open and everyone's there yeah. or whatever in South Africa was nothing like the Swedish one before that. And the Swedish one before that was nothing like the Swedish one, two years before that, before COVID. I'm like, my friend, trust me, you'll, you'll feel what worlds is all about come South Africa. And he did afterwards, but um, how different was it for you when you showed up at that venue, you see that venue and you seen all the different people that were going to be there. Did it feel different uh, for you? Yeah, it actually felt different because last year for Sweden, I only had to fly, I think, less than five hours, including bus and like mobile, like road transport. But this year I had to be away from home for like 24 hours before I go to South Africa. And that was where I think I made one of my biggest mistakes. I arrived like the day before I was competing. Because then I was like, okay, I'm not really in the going to be pushing hard. So I might as well just take it easy because I had other stuff to do. I mean, I could have moved the other stuff, but I was like, well, you're not really going for like first place. Like then to my, in my brain, it was like, you're not really pushing hard. So why do you have to arrive early? Just take it chill, arrive whenever you can. And Dude, you didn't even know what you were about to do. You were like, yeah. you're, like you're not going for first place. Relax show up you even you didn't realize at the end it's like you're going fuck it we're going for first yeah like that was like next year i'm definitely going to be there at least three days early maybe even five one week um so that was where i made one of my biggest mistakes i regret to be fair but going in i got in the day before came in showered and i think that was the 74 men and six. 59 women or so 57 yeah i 57 yeah i went in just to watch that and i was just watching that at night and preparing for the competition did my wings checked my weight and i was like oh yeah i'm fine i didn't really feel nervous but in the morning i felt a bit more nervous because then you started seeing the other 83 competitors i saw durant and owen close to the hotel and I was like, this is real. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I definitely felt the nerves in the morning, but coming in, I was like, I'm not really doing much. So I might as well just chill. So this is where like the pressure and Delaney and Tim carrying the load for the pressure really would help because you yeah. don't, you're telling yourself, like you can imagine Tim's experience leading up to Worlds, Delaney's experience leading up to Worlds was entirely different. They're not showing up telling themselves, whatever, I'm not here to win. I'm just gonna, I'm here to have fun, see what I do, hit some PRs, we're gonna have some fun here. They can't, like even Delaney, for instance, leading into the World Championships, he like was investing money in a videographer and video editing to like take these motivational clips uh, like voiceovers, you've probably seen some of these videos yeah. and like he, th- he was investing money in this. Like he was like to create the hype adding, he bought those shoes, um, you know, that had like the lineage of like 83 kilo world yeah, champions and stuff. 
he's piling the pressure onto himself, which is very difficult. And obviously all is well that ends well. He ends up being a world champion, but that is like his experience coming into the world championships, knowing he, he didn't know Tim Monogatti was going to end up leaving the squat session one for three. If Tim went three for three, Tim's going over 800 as well. And all of a sudden, you know, like he's in the middle of a massive tight battle with Tim Monogatti and that could have happened. And, um, and he's leaning into the pressure. That's where like, it's you, you, you know, hats off to him because that's very <laughs> difficult to do. It's a lot easier probably to like show up by the way, that's never going to happen for you again. Just to let you know, <laughs> you, you're, you're never going to be able to fly under the radar ever again. But uh, so your next world is going to be totally different. We'll talk about that later. But um, yeah, the, the ability to show up, like I remember Mike Tyson talked about this one time. He had one particular fight along his pathway. It was like the first time on television. And it was like a first time where he's fighting someone actually good. And people were like, were you scared? And he was like, I wasn't scared of that particular match, but I was scared because I knew after this particular match, it'll never be the same again. And they're like, well, well, you're not going to make millions of dollars. All You weren't winning the title next. He goes, no, 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 no. I'm not talking money or anything like that. I'm talking after this particular match, when I beat this guy, because this is like my first tough opponent, never again am I going to be able to fly under the radar and not have expectations and not have once this happens because he knew what he was going to do to this guy this is Mike Tyson right he knew he's like and he blew this guy out in like 36 seconds it was it's Marvis Frazier it was Joe Frazier's son whatever if you're a boxing fan that means something to you but the point is he knew in his heart of hearts what is about to happen is going to change everything and he was fine with it and obviously ended up being Mike Tyson so everything's good but there is something to the point of you realize I'm never going to have that leisurely of yeah. showing up and the pressure's on everybody else. I show up the day before I could tell myself, fuck it, you know, or all of this, because now after you've done what you've done, everybody's talking about you. People in different federations are like, Holy shit. And um, did you have in the back of your mind, now you know, but at that point, before it all got underway, and you're in the hotel and you're seeing Jurens, you're seeing Owen, you're seeing the other 83s, did you tell yourself, this might be the last time these guys don't look my way? I kind of actually felt that. Yeah. I mean, like Jurens and Owen, like I talked to them before the competition, so they were actually like cool guys, but then I was like, yeah, they're going to know who I am. And, it's, and that's it. It's a gift and a curse, right? Like Delaney, Delaney never again will look past you. You know this. You gave him a heart attack. There's no, you never again, when he sees you in the warm-up room, he'll be like, oh, fuck, here we go. Like the way he was looking at Tim, he's going to be looking at you. <laughs> yeah, no more casual conversations. No more casual that. conversations. Like walking into the warm-up room, I was just like, I think I was just discussing with Jurens and the Great Britain team before starting. And I was like, just having a chat with them. And if you're going up against someone, you're not going to be having such casual conversations. I mean, like, Jones is a really nice guy. Well, like, you're not going to be having, like, such casual, casual conversations, like, while we are waiting and stuff. And also, like, I've never been in a tough competition. Like, I think this was my toughest competition ever because coming from the Hungarian Federation, there has been really no competition there, to be honest. And one of my toughest decisions during competition is always like 
which socks do I wear for deadlifts? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I've never really had to feel that pressure. So I think that also helped. And I was really casual moving in. And I mean, it's going to change from now, like you said, and that's going to be fun to see. Now you're in the conversation. There'll never be another preview show where your name's not in it. There'll never be another showdown where people aren't being like, but you have to worry about this. You have to worry about Anna coming from behind. And it doesn't matter where he's at. You were so far behind on subtotal and you had the winning deadlift locked out. Like that's insane. The, the, the biggest subtotal was Owen Hubbard at 490 and you were 417.5. That's how far back you were after the first two events. And by the time deadlifts wrapped up, you had the winning deadlift lockdown. Like that can that when that happens, everyone will always be looking your way now for here on out because you're never fully out of this thing. Were you in the hype video that Delaney did? No. I mean, I was kind of pissed, but you see what I'm saying? <laughs> We're going into this for anyone listening who didn't see the hype video. And Delaney had dumped money into these hype videos and they were very well done. Like some of those hype videos I told Delaney, like I remember at the powerlifting American nationals, me and Pete Spence from SBD were talking to Delaney and Delaney will post like three videos a year, something, not much. And we were like, Delaney, man, like obviously Pete is with SBD. So he's <laughs> sponsoring them. I'm like, obviously King of lift. So I want to repost people and try to create hype for every event. So we are both having this conversation with Delaney at the dinner table saying, my dude, please dog, you were the favorite. You know, you got a battle at Worlds, but you're the favorite to win. If you win Worlds and you're a world champion, but you only post two to three times a year, that is hard, man. For all of us, for the sport, for everything, like lean into this brother because Delaney is like a, he's a charismatic guy. He's a good looking dude. He's strong as shit. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's the whole package. Um, and off the platform, you know, he's not drinking, getting into trouble. And, and, uh, you know, he's like a good guy who he's got a, he's a, an accountant. He's got a for really real profession. He's like, he's everything you'd want in, in a world champion. He could literally, he wants to do public speaking and go talk to motivate, do motivational speaking. So he could be that guy. He's like, it's like, dude, you got it all, but you, he wasn't leaning into it. He wasn't like, I'm like, embrace it because if this comes and goes, you know, like leading, you'll never have more hype um, than leading into a major showdown. The whole, yeah. the whole sport wants to digest your content. They want to know what you feel about it. And the anticipation is what like in life period, anticipation's huge, right? The feeling yeah. of, and you're a sports fan when the Super Bowl's rolling around, the World Cup's rolling around the state, the anticipation is, oh, fuck, who's going to win? That is if you wait until after you win, like if Delaney was to do that, um, it, you would lose like 90% of the hype because after you've already won, it's already been done. You could do the podcast and post about it afterwards. But yeah. if you, if you lean into it, leaning up to it, when people don't know what's going to happen, it's like watching a movie and you don't know what's going to happen. That is a special time to lean in. And um, so we had that conversation with Delaney. And Delaney said, guys, I know I never posted before. He goes, leading into this world is going to be different. And me and Peter are like, dog, seriously, man. He's like, no, 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 trust me. I'm not just posting sets. He's like, I got to play it. Like, All right, man, let's see what you do. And we didn't know the dude went out 
hired a videographer and he released a series of videos. The one video, I am a sniper now. Do you, yeah. did you see where he was like, I'm a sniper now? It, yeah, I, like I, I saw all the videos like, <laughs> dude, I was like, shit, man. Some of these were so good. And, um, and now it becomes part of the storyline. He had one video for people listening, the one we're referring to where, and he did this before USAPL Nats when he did 822.5 and he beat everybody but Russ. And um, he had clips of everybody, like them training and the whole nine. And he had clips of Russ talking and he did this for Worlds this year. We had clips of all the other contenders and he had clips of them training. And then he had flashbacks of him training and he was missing one contender because nobody's seen you coming. And this is where like, that'll never happen again, dog. That'll never, you gave him the heart attack of his life. We'll talk about it when we get there, but you, you'll never be off the radar again. But when you seen that video clip and you weren't in that video, what were you thinking? Well, like it didn't negatively affect me, to be honest. I was just more like, Ooh. like I saw all the posters. I saw the poster from, from the IPF. And I was like, okay, next year I'm going to be on the poster. Like that was what was going Oh yeah, you head. weren't in the poster of the IPF either. Yeah, it was like team and Delaney. just team and Delaney. And I was like, next year I'm going to be on that poster. That was what was going through my head. So I wasn't trying to put myself down with all the, like be, not being in the conversation, which is really good. And I didn't deserve to be in the conversation then, to be honest. And yeah, that was like kind of my fuel to go forward because I was like, next year, next year. This year yeah. is just to show what I'm going to do next year. And I think I did that. Oh, you did that, dog. <laughs> <laughs> you did that. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, and that's another thing where like, in terms of like, very rarely do you have major surprises like this in sports. Usually you see people coming to an extent at least, but you came out of like, you popped up on a lot of people's radars now for sure next year. There's no question you're going to be mentioned in every single preview show. You're going to be in all the posters. Um, like the, you're going to be in Delaney's video <laughs> for sure. But, but at the very least, maybe it happens. If it happens in segments, um, you're more prepared for it too. Because yeah. if you get too much hype too early, it can be overwhelming. At least you got to operate a little bit, gain some more experience. This is your, this is your second world championships. Yeah. So you get like, and they're both in the open, by the way, even though you're a junior this whole time, but you got to have relatively manageable jumps. So the pressure, yeah. the pressure on you, the hype on you has been relatively, the jumps have been steps you could take as opposed to a leapfrog to the top. And you're like, holy fuck, you know, this is, this is a whole lot, a whole lot early. Yeah. Like we've seen it happen, like with some juniors. And we're yeah, getting all caught up in the hype and next thing they get injured, life happens mm. and it starts to go down. And yeah, like life happened to me also and my lifts went down. But I think I started appreciating that more because you kind of need that slow build to maintain the consistency. Because when it's like all hype and something goes wrong, you're just like, okay, I'm done. Yeah, And well, so you need... Yeah, you feel like you can't show up with less. Yeah. And I think that's why I needed that setback to be like, okay, 
take this slowly and move forward, not just jumping into the hype, which I really appreciate now. And as a junior lifter, like when you're young, you're always wanting that hype. You're like, okay, I'm going to be the next big thing. I'm going to be the one to become the 83 kg champion at 20 or something. But I'm happy I've been able to just build slowly up to this point. Well, you can imagine if you were everything that was happening with you when you were deadlifting two plates aside, and that was your deadlift and the injury to your chest and you're starting prep for worlds after you see the Sheffield hype video, which by the way, um, Justin Nutt did that hype video for SBD. I messaged him and said, dude, that's the best hype video I've ever seen in this sport period. That one Sheffield video by Justin Nutt, when he dropped it, I was like, that's the best I've ever seen. I was like, I'm doing world. I, I'm that, that was, like, I said, dude, that video was, I, I fucking, I messaged Benjamin Banks and was like, my friend, holy fuck. Like, like, um, who did that? That's insane. I can't, that's the best. I seen, obviously, Benjamin Banks, the president of SBD was at Worlds. And I was like, I can't believe the work you guys have done on hyping Sheffield, those videos, amazing. Um, they've reached out to me to do like the audio clips and stuff. So uh, it sounds, some of them sound like they're from the podcast. Some of them are from the podcast, but some of them are actually like, straight up you know i'm just giving sound bites and stuff like that like just going off of with sound bites and they take it and um i got to like so just being able to work with these fellas on this hype videos i can't believe what they're putting out the content they're putting out when they were like we want more sound bites from you more than just previously it was can we have access to your podcast yeah obviously i'm gonna say yes now they're like no no, no we want straight up sound bites are you in i'm like dude i've seen your work you know, like, yes, the answer is yes. I can't believe how good this content is. Um, I mean, it, it's crazy hype. And just, I could see where you mean, where you see that video and like, I'm in. Um, but having said that, in the future, I mean, you might be start appearing in videos like this where we're having conversations with you and stuff like that. So it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's the yin and the yang, right? But to the point I was making, though, when you were doing two plates aside, before you seen that video decide to go, with no hype and pressure on you, it's okay to like, be like, look at, um, uh, right now I I'm injured. I'm, I'm way far back than expectations where I'd want to be, but I can show up and there isn't pressure on me to perform. Nobody's looking my way. I'm not even in Delaney Wallace's video and he's naming all the contenders and he didn't name me. I'm not in the IPF poster. I'm not being, I'm talked about on my deadlift on the preview shows, but nobody's saying I'm a threat to win this. I'm not, I'm going to be pulling for gold. So if I am way far back and I'm squatting 210 kilo and I should be squatting, squatting 272 and I'm pulling, you know, whatever you can now enter the IPF world championships and there's no pressure anyways. So if you end up showing up and holy fuck, everything turned around in time. Amazing. Amazing. But if you don't, I don't let anybody down. Nobody's like, oh, what the fuck happened? And, and then the recap shows, everyone's like, what happened to Enna? Like, they, he really dropped the ball here. What happened to Enna? And you have to talk about it. The pressure's not there. You're like, whatever. If I do well, everybody's going to be talking about me. If I don't, no one will say anything. It's okay. So that's where, like, if you're a junior lifter and you don't have the hype, it's not a bad thing yet. You know, you yeah. could operate. You could just operate with no stress. That's a good thing. Like, especially like for, for, I mean, it's changed now, but at least you had that for as long as you could. So if when you were 20 years old, 
and you're pulling 350 kilos, 771 pounds. If you got all the hype, then all of this would have been different. Everything would have been different. You think you at the point at 20 year old kid, you think you would have wanted it. It's probably better. You didn't have, right? I think that also what happened last year. I was like, okay, now I just pulled the world record and time to get back into training right away. And I got my back injured. And right now I had a different mentality after this competition. And I was like, okay, you just did something good. Take a chill pill. <laughs> Walls is still, like Walls is still one year away. Like last year, it seemed like, oh yeah, Walls is like next week and I need to just push hard. And I was like, no, now I'm like, take a chill pill. Walls is one year away. You can wait for that. So. And you also know that, and I want to ask you about your future goals in a second here, but um, you also know that you can peak relatively quickly. Like you were doing yeah. January, February, just two plates. And then we know what you just did in June. So like you can ramp up when you need to ramp up. Exactly. So going into the world championships, you see everybody. You see Tim Monogatti. You see Delaney in the warm-up room. And it's, first off, you don't cut a lot of weight, do you? No, for this meet, I didn't have to cut any weight. I just walked in. Okay, that makes it easy. That's, then you could show up the day before. If you start cutting <laughs> weight, if you start becoming like 85 kilo and you got to cut a few pounds, uh, a couple kilo, which isn't big, you could do it. But you better show up in advance, not the day before. Definitely. That's Definitely. For sure. do, you, do you plan on getting bigger? Well, like usually I'm bigger than this. Um, well, going into this, I don't know why. I was just like 83.5 usually. So cut out some sodium, some fiber, and we're fine. But going into the next one, chances I'm going to have to cut weight. But for that, I plan to be there much earlier, definitely. I mean, one thing of all the lifts that are the most volatile in terms of the connection to body weight, it's bench press. Like the bench yeah. press is like a, when your body weight goes up, the bench press goes up. It's very yeah. closely connected. Deadlift, not so much. Um, actually, deadlift is probably the least. Like, well, as a matter of fact, some people will out deadlift the heavyweights. The, like, the yeah, I think my pluses. deadlift goes down. Right. No, it, your deadlift probably won't go down for a couple of kilo, but uh, yeah, once I get to like eighty-eight, it starts to just what? go down. Yeah, which is why I'm like, I have to deadlift four hundred and eighty-three because I can't really do it any heavier. Wow. Uh, well, for now, but so I mean that's where like I guess it's a give and a take then. But if you if you just gain a little bit of size and cut a little bit of water beforehand, um, yeah, your bench will probably come up. And yeah. uh, but I mean we'll worry about that later. But when you showed up and you seen Delaney, I mean I was talking to Delaney, and I know for myself just walking back in that warm up room as a commentator, dude, people were turned on. Like I, I was talking about Delaney, who's like super approachable, easygoing, nice dude, right? Um, like he'll talk to anybody. He don't give a shit. Like if you meet Delaney, he's, you know, some people you're not sure when you meet him in real life, if, how they're going to be. This dude is as nice a guy. His parents are there and he's all like, whatever. Um, but when I seen him in the warm up room, he was so keyed in. He had his earphones on, his hoodie up. And I knew like he was avoiding eye contact, which isn't Delaney. And he wasn't avoiding, he was avoiding eye contact because he doesn't want to get in a conversation. And I recognize that. And I'm like, yeah. okay, give him his space. 
You know what I mean? Like, you know, like me and Delaney, I see Delaney from across the room. Like, hey, what the shit? Just like if I see you, I'm like, Anna. But sometimes when you go into a warm-up room, you could tell. Some people like, this is game time. It's not chopping it up time. And some people, they're in the mode, right? And you just sit back and you give them the space and let them operate. And Delaney, man, he was in that. He was, he was 100% in that mode. And a couple of the other guys probably were as well. Um, how did you feel before the warm-up room, like in the warm-up room before the event started yourself? And how did you feel the other lifters were? Did you feel a shift in that? I think like, as expected, like the two main lifters team and Delaney were like really quiet and they were like into their different zones. Uh, like I told you, I was just chatting it up with Jurins and before the competition, before weighings, and we were just chatting it up and there was no pressure on us. We could do that. Like no one was looking at us. So we are really competing against each other. We, we are competing against each other, obviously, but we didn't feel like competitors. So we were just chatting it up and I was really chill until after weighings and equipment check. I was like, okay, time to get the AirPods in and just chill because everyone has to get into their zones. Like I'm a more casual person when I'm in the warm-up room. I'm more friendly, probably because I'm not a threat to anyone yet. So that was how I felt. As always, the pressure wasn't on me. I was chill, just vibing. Yeah. Well, see, Jerns is an easygoing guy too. Like, like well, I mean, all yeah. of them pretty much are. But um, do you think that'll change? Like when, when, it, when you're on the posters, and you're in the videos and you're in all the recap shows and the conversation. Do you think you'll be a little, I know it's hard to tell the future. You won't know until you're actually there, but can you foresee that? Okay. You know what? Now I know what Delaney was feeling and Tim was feeling. And now I know, and, and you could appreciate you're like, I think I'll be handling it a little differently. I hope I would change, honestly. I like the casualness and but I feel it's gonna change because I feel it also in the gym and while prepping for competition I'm like the worst person to be around in the gym I'm like don't talk to me when I'm squatting please and it's like in the gym because I'm the only one that's that has the pressure on me and I'm like okay then I feel the pressure more in the gym compared to competition where it's like everyone has the pressure on them and I'm the one without the pressure and I'm just chilling so I think going forward is going to change to some extent. I mean, before the competition, I didn't, I don't think I had any conversations with Delaney. After that, we had a chat and it was like really friendly. And I don't think I'm going to have the same friendly chat next time <laughs> before. Yeah. I mean, after we could like catch up and at the banquet, yeah. we could have a chat. But like before, I don't think that's happening to be fair. So I think it's going to change to some extent. But as yeah. always... Anyone can just approach me in the warm-up room and I'm going to be fine, I think. Yeah, yeah. And same with, look, look, same with Delaney. Like, the guy's still a nice guy. It's just, he's avoiding conversation if he, if he yeah. can avoid it. He's not, it's not going to be like a standoffish, but if you could avoid it, and it's, you're, you got a good observation there where, um, and that's a really good comparison, where it sounds like it would be the opposite, where like, well, you'd be less nervous in training and more nervous in competition. But on the flip side, where you said, when I showed up in competition, everybody else was handling the pressure because they had all that pressure on them. But when I'm in the gym, 
I am for sure the only guy who knows how I feel and feels the pressure. So it is different. And you're, you're probably right. That's probably a really good observation where next time you show up, that same pressure that you felt in the gym, you'll we'll probably just carry over to the competition because now you do have it. Um, but we all, it's happened in manageable steps, which is good as well. Yeah. Um, when your day starts and obviously, um, I don't, well, first off, are you watching what the other lifters are doing or is just a Hungarian team keeping you updated on how everybody else is doing? For like squat and bench, I'm not getting any updates. I'm not watching anything. I'm just like, okay, just go six for six. And so the way it unfolded, and you probably know this now, but Tim Monagati missed 280 opener, retook it on his second, and then went up to 295 and missed that. Now, these are depth issues. He's strong as shit. Tim Monagati is, is you know, you hook if you were to hook Tim Monagati up to a machine and just test his strength as like his horsepower, crazy strength. But it's that little technical fine points like in training, depth has been an issue here and there. And we knew if he's yeah. going to have a major fault coming into Worlds, it's not strength. And not technical in the aspect of like, he's got power lossage. Like, well, he should do this and he'll have more power in the squad or he should do that or more power. Very technically proficient lifter in that regard. It's just depth, man. If he fucking hits depth, if he went three for three in squats, Delaney would have the, and yourself would have the fight of your life because he's going deep into the 800s. If he he squats to the depth that some of his training days were, he's going to leave with one squat. And that's yeah. what happened to him um, on the flip side. So he leaves with one squat. Jurens ends up going neck and neck with Delaney Wallace. Both of them have 282.5 kilo openers. Both of them knew, moved to 295. Both of them hit 295. Both of them moved to 302.5 for the third and final squat. Both of them missed 302.5 for the third and final squat. So in terms of an Owen Hubbard, by the way, goes three for three and has an excellent squat day for himself with, cause he's got a massive bench with 277.5. So if we're looking at the rest of the field, it's already not going exactly as planned. Already one of the major favorites who probably builds a massive chunk of his total off the squat event is now moving forward with a squat far less than probably a strength is possible of, but Tim had cut depth so he ended up not ending up where he wanted to at the end of the squad event. Delaney misses his third. Jern misses his third. But yourself and Owen Hubbard go three for three. And you're not quite in the mix for people looking at you. But you're squatting in the 600s. And now it's a little bit different than previous years. Not quite yet there yet. And we'll, we'll get there in, the, in terms of storyline. Yeah. But when we leave the squad event... Some of the favorites are not having the day they wanted and low key you are. How are you feeling after squats? I was like, like after squats, um, after I saw that, I was like, okay, this is a good day because you feel, you know how the competition is going to be like right after your last squat, you're going to be like, today's a good day. And then the opener was 320 and that was just a placeholder opener because the way Goodlift does it, it shows you the prognosis based on your total. And we wanted to keep that prognosis as low as possible. So we put in 320 just to 
keep our like placing on the prognosis as low as possible. So we couldn't show up on the radar of like the other coaches watching, which was Sneaky. a good start. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be able to do that again, but no, you will not, sir. <laughs> no, 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 one time only. <laughs> yeah. So just doing that, try to keep me hidden in the field. And I was just like, okay, just go six for six. I had no idea what anyone was doing at that point. I didn't care, honestly. So, so the, the Hungarian coaches aren't, aren't telling you at all and you're not peaking? Nope. Just focus on myself. Do our numbers. Like we had numbers we were going to hit and ranges. And we were like, okay, we're going to hit this, hit this. And When you're in the warm-up room, see, this is tough. Uh, we've all been there. You did you not peak at all? Like when somebody's coming off the platform and they enter back into the warm up room, because you because you could tell sometimes if someone missed or it's depth and like fuck, and you could you could catch vibes. Did you catch any vibes like that or no? I mean, I was like squatting second, so I was like right after squatting, I was like, okay, I need to go pee, so I didn't really see anyone's oh, face. So and like it was like a seven minute flight basically, so I had to like rush to the bedroom, pee, and come back. So I was like, I wasn't really watching what anyone else was doing. No, all as well. So then going into the bench press event, uh, Delaney Wallace, who had missed his third squat, ends up going three for three in the bench press, um, finishing with a 192.5. However, he has hit around a 200 kilo mark, I believe, in the gym. And he was thinking yeah. on a really good day, he can hit 200 kilo on bench. Um, he was thinking for squats, I mean, he has squatted in the gym anyways, uh, close to 700 pounds, which is 217.5 kilo. So obviously him going forward with 295, he's having, he's righted the ship in that he went three for three in bench, but he's a stitch vulnerable. His total is going to be down if you're paying attention. And I know you're not, but for anyone listening, I'm just kind of setting the, you know, the perimeters of what's going to happen in the deadlift event and why this unfolded the way it did. So Delaney Wallace's, He's now back to hitting lifts. And the Americans um, have done a good job in recognizing, look, you flew from the other side of the world, uh, multiple time zone changes and all the rest of it. It doesn't matter where you hit in the gym or where you hit previously in at US nationals. We're going to do it where we need you to hit lifts and not grind out too many. So he's now back to going three for three. Jurens, who missed his third squat, also missed his third bench press, but he hit, 172.5 he just left off two and a half kilo um because he went up a two and a half kilo jump for his third and final not a major loss there but he's starting to miss a little bit once you start missing you're draining the tank and um you you already know once you start it once you start hitting that central nervous system and grinding a little bit you only have so many grinds in you even penna who isn't like you know who's the grind king there's a limit to this um owen hubbard yeah. goes up to 212.5 that's your gold medal. So Delaney Wallace gets a silver medal in, in bench. Owen Hubbard gets the gold medal in bench. He attempts the world record. Him and Brett Gibbs, he's tossed that world record back and forth in bench press. He attempts 219, misses. Um, by the way, Jurens got the gold medal in squat. Delaney got the bra, uh, silver because Jurens is slightly less body weight. And um, Kyle Graham from Canada actually got the bronze medal. In the, in the squat event. So in the, in the bench press, um, it's Owen Hubbard and then it's Delaney Wallace. And then it is, uh, uh, the Swede who got the bronze medal. But in terms of Owen Hubbard missing his third, Tim Monogatti writes the ship a little bit, goes three for three, 
But despite the fact that he went three for three, he leaves with 180 kilo bench press, which is reasonable. But only having one squat, he's far back. He needs people to make major mistakes in the deadlift event. He's pretty far back at this point. He needs to be flawless in the deadlifts and he, he needs other people to start making mistakes because going one for three in squat hit him back, even though he went three for three in the bench press. But yourself, you had told yourself, I need to go six for six going into deadlifts if I'm going to have a hope. And you went six for six because you went three for three in the bench press. Now, after the bench is all said and done, and you had that placeholder deadlift, so nobody's seen you, and as you put it, you're hiding in the fields. Nobody's really seen it. You're hiding in the tall grass, my friend. You're lying in the tall grass, and nobody knows there's a lion out there who's about to fucking pop up in the deadlift event. <laughs> but you're there, and you're waiting for it. Um, so how are you feeling after the bench press? Going into the deadlifts, are you thinking at all yet? Are you yet telling yourself, I might be pulling for the gold? No. <laughs> like, I always felt like I was going to be pulling for the bronze. Yeah. So that was like what was good. I think at that point, I was also still like, it's probably Tim and Delaney. I had no idea where I was on the field. So, uh, because I was benching first, it meant I also had like a longer time to rest before deadlift, which is always nice. Well, I, hey, <laughs> yeah, there's one good thing about having a low bench, right? Yeah. <laughs> In a big deadlift. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, like, after my bench, I'm just like, okay, time to start warming up, change my socks, change shoes and all that. And when the lift warm-up started, I was like, okay, this is going well. Our plan was to open with 340. Then we switched it up to 345.5 because we're like, this is what's going to put us, like, above everyone else in the B group. That, because the B group lifted in the afternoon. So this was going to put us above everyone in that B group. So we opened up with 345.5. And I was feeling well, obviously. So I was like, yeah, that's really what we're going to do. And it was a solid B group. Like, obviously, Kafui um, ended up in sixth place, uh, going nine for nine. Yeah. But also, like Kyle Graham, I had said, was taking medals in the, in the squad event. He's from the B group as well. Like, it was a solid B group. Yeah. But, but as a commentator, when I watch, and seeing that the Hungarians had put in 345.5 world record for an opening deadlift. I'm thinking in my head and I was saying on the commentary, is this real? Like, is this like, what is happening right now? Like, is this, is that going to change again before the two minute mark and it's too late? And then when you came out for it, you know, I, I knew you had pulled, like, what was your previous, was it 350 previously? Yeah, I think 350 was my best. So 350 was your best ever. This is four and a half kilo more or less. Sorry. 350 you're four and a half kilo and when you're talking this much four and a half kilos nothing you're you're essentially walking out to your previous pr so and, and last time i'd seen you at worlds you pulled 336 so when you're coming out to 345.5 i'm thinking and i'm saying this as on the commentary i'm like this is a obviously it's a world record it's a massive opener is this gonna move like an opener should like if I, if you didn't tell me what the weight was on the bar, am I going to watch it and be like, oh yeah, that's an opener. That moved like an opener. And then you tell me the weight and I'm like, holy shit. Or is this going to be a situation that you see sometimes? Somebody comes out, they open too heavy and they'll get it, but it's a fucking grinder. And you're like, you have nowhere to go. You have nowhere to grow. You're going to go up four kilo and be done. And um, 
so you obviously were extremely confident in this 345.5. Yeah, like what you said about getting into the zone, that usually happens on my deadlift. I'm like, I switch to my headphones and I'm like fully in the zone for deadlift. And also before, before squats, yeah, before squats, I was out on that deadlift platform for like almost 10 minutes straight. Like I felt every single bump on that platform. I knew where to keep the bar. I knew where to place my legs. And like, that's why on my first attempt, I was like rolling the bar to like a good spot because like, okay, I know where I'm going to put my legs for that. So like for deadlift, I'm like really, really zoned in. So I don't try to leave anything up to chance on deadlift because I know this is what I have to do to cover up the ground. So yeah, going into deadlift, I was fully in the zone. Yeah, I, um, I love the fact that before the thing even started, and this is, if ever anybody needed to pay attention, a little bit of foreshadowing of what was to happen. If somebody ever came back to the warm-up room, it's like, hey, we haven't even started squatting yet. And some fucking guy's out there on the platform checking out the best footing for the deadness. And he's, he's, you know what I mean? Like, that's a warning. That's a warning, man. Some guy is out there feeling around, feeling where the divots are, feeling where, because when, when the bar crashes down, like Chance Mitchell was on here talking about, um, you know, the uh, there's another guy who was talking about your deadlift, by the way. But uh, Chance Mitchell was on here talking about, like, when the bar crashes down and smokes the gr- like, it leaves divots in the platform. Yeah, and the platform was bad. It, the platform gets bad where your footing is, where the bar rolls, everything. And the fact that, like, before this thing even starts, you're out there and you are taking a lay of the land. Like a fucking commander who's going to do battle on a battlefield. And he's like, I need to know the lay of the land before this battle starts. So you're out there getting a measure of it. So before it even happens, you already know, I know where I'm going to be. I know where my feet are going to be. I know I want the bar to be, you know what I mean? Like that's a, that's a deadlift specialist for you. But um, so deadlift comes out and I'm going to be honest. Like I wasn't sure how that opener is going to move for you. So when you smoke 345.5, and the last time I saw you, 336 was the world record, and you were jumping in the air happy as shit to have 336 in the world record. And that was your third and final pull. When you smoke 345.5, you can understand I am like, holy shit, I just became a believer. If 345.5 is his opener, how far are we going to go? And this is, this is how we started that, that lift session. And this was like, so this was not hyperbole. This was me being like, okay, this is, uh, we've never seen this for an opener. You smoke 345.5. Do you know what's on the bar? Like you, you're told ahead of time, this is a world record. Okay. I always know what's on the bar. Okay. So what are you telling yourself after you smoke that? Are you now like, holy shit? Like, what are your thoughts as a whole? I think right after that, I was like, the plant second was 355. But right after that, I was just like, I just told the Hungarian coach 362 straight up. And that was all I just did. And I was like, okay, time to go pee again. And, and they put on 362. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, I just need to stay cool, stay calm. Because my mentality at that point still was, you have to pull big for the third attempt to get bronze. So I wasn't really prepared to do anything else. I was just like, take it easy keep it chill 362 let's go and it's um so that's 800 pounds second attempt which is insane for i mean we've never seen that. 
Well, obviously, we've never seen that. Um, you might not see that a couple of week classes up sometimes, but so you hit an 800 pound second attempt, obviously another world record and it's difficult. You didn't know at the time, but that already solidified your bronze medal with that. Yeah, pull, I think, yeah, I think right. Um, so after the pool, I knew like I went back and that was when I was actually looking at my placing and I was like, okay, I'm bronze now. Let's just put in the placeholder for the third and wait for everyone to lift. So. At that point, I knew that, okay, I'm bronze, which was like, oh, shit. That was too early. That was too early. early. Because this is not, you're ahead of schedule. You know, you're ahead of plans. You're like, holy smokes, here we go. Um, Because for anybody, let's just catch everybody else up. Tim Monogatti hits his opener at 305, misses 320, um, loads up, or sorry, misses 330 for a second. Loads up 340 for his third for all intents and purposes. Like missing 330 was pretty much the end. That was nail in the coffin for him in terms of the big showdown, in terms of threatening Delaney. He was now going to load up 340. Um, It was more than he needed for silver, but he was pulling because to qualify for Sheffield, you can qualify via region. and um, But you need to hit a, a 95% of the world record is long so certain regions can be represented like that so tim loaded up more than he needed to for the silver but he wanted to possibly qualify for sheffield obviously this would have been a conversation they had ahead of time if we end up in this predicament what do you want to do load up for sheffield and and that's probably a good idea misses 340 owen hubbard um hits 280 misses 302.5 so his threat as a podium threat, it's all, he's, he's not going to be able to make it. Um, Caffrey from Canada had already finished his day from flight B, so he's not going to make it as well. So then essentially it comes down to um, Jurens and Delaney Wallace. Now, both of them, they've had, they were pretty neck and neck here. Again, in the, they had a difference in the bench press, but in terms of squat power and deadlift power, fairly neck and neck. They both were at 302.5 for the openers. Jurens opted to move up to 320 in the second, whereas Delaney did 315. Jurens um, obviously trying to cover a little more ground. Delaney had the lead going in. Um, so for their third and final, they're back on the same weight. And Jurens misses 322.5. Door of opportunity might have swung open there for you. However, Delaney Wallace also misses 322.5. And this is where the pivotal discussion needs to be had by Team Hungry. And this is when the crazy happens, all right? So you have options now. A realistic pull for silver medal to bump Jurens down to bronze and obviously within your means with what we know you did with 385 because you locked it out. Or Delaney also missed. If Delaney hit, if Delaney when he hit that, Fuck, what is that? That's seven and a half kilo, even more on top of. Yeah. Things are getting crazier and crazier. <laughs> Things are getting crazier and crazier. But he missed. And Delaney was on the podcast and talked about. So the Americans, he went back to the warm up room after missing his third and final dead. And it was kind of like, all right, you're finishing with 802.5. He's hit 20 kilos more previously in competition, but that's not when all the travel and all the rest of it. But they're like, we think you're good. Jurens probably isn't, he's jumping up only two and a half kilo. And, you know, he's, I mean, that's not going to, he's not going to bridge that gap. 
and they're talking and he was like what about anna and they're like he would have to pull the earth to pull into gold it's not going to happen and delaney said after missing the third dead he knew holy fuck i think he's going to go for it and i just had penna on the podcast and i had a bunch of people they're all in the warm-up room and they said they seen team hungry walk over to the table and put in the change attempt to 385 kilo, 400, 847 pounds. And everybody in the room was like, holy shit, it's about to happen. Tell me about the conversation though. When both of those gentlemen missed their third and final deadlift, was it like, did they ask you, do you want to pull for silver or do you want to pull for gold? And when you told them, like, how did that conversation go? Uh, so I think we, the only pool I watched after for the second attempt was like Tim, because he was the only one moving to podium because then like Jurings and Delaney had already pulled. So I was like, okay, I'm in bronze. I've done what I wanted to do. So just watching Tim like try to pull into, I think I was going to get into second place and that would have bumped me down to like fourth place. And at that point I'd have had to like make the, make the decision like, do I go for second or do I go for bronze? I think, honestly, I would have gone for bronze if I was in fourth place. Uh, but then being in bronze after the after team misses, I was like, okay. And I was with the team hungry coach beside me. I had also another handler, and he sent the handler to just tell them, clean the platform, clean the bars, let's discuss. And I was like, let's just go for gold. Like, I've done what I wanted to do. Um, I love jurings, but like the silver and the bronze, pretty much not first. So at that point, it doesn't make a difference. So why not go for the bronze, for the gold medal? Because anyways, if you get silver, you're going to be the guy that still stood on the podium at the sides. So go for the gold. And it was an easy decision, honestly. There was no argument between me and the team hungry team. We're like, yeah, it makes sense. No shit. So they were like, fuck it. They didn't, they weren't like, oh my God, this is crazy. 385. <laughs> do you, did you know it was 385 that you had to do? Yeah, I knew, I, I knew the exact number I needed. I always know the number I need. You know, how interesting is it, first off, that, and you're right, like I totally get it. The fact that you're like, with the security of knowing I'm leaving with a medal and I'm on the podium, I'm leaving the world championships in the open with a medal already. Now you'll gamble pulling for a gold to be the world champion, the world champion. But if you hadn't secured a medal yet, now you're not, now you're giving up possibly getting up, leaving with a medal. So if yeah. you already have the medal already in hand, you're already on the podium and you're going home with a bronze, no matter what. Now you could be like, okay, I'm not risking a podium finish. I'm already on the podium. If it's going to be silver or gold, fuck it. I want to be a world champion, baby. What's the world championships? Uh, that, this is that big, you know, let's take that title. But how interesting is it? If Tim had actually, you know, if he had performed even good enough, not even for silver, but for bronze, if you had just been bumped off that podium, which everyone conceivably going into the final poll, you should have been. If they all performed yeah. like they should have, going into the last deadlift, you should have been making the decision fourth or gold, right? 
And you might've in that point been like, okay, I'm not going to gamble no podium at all. If it's that I'm pulling for the podium. If that's the case, no podium or podium or the world title. All right, let's not gamble. That's gambling too much. But if you're already on the podium and it's now you have a medal, we're just talking about what color the medal is. Okay. We're going gold, baby. So this, that's very interesting to think how much fate could have changed. Yeah. If Tim Mudagotti would have hit one of those squats, thank God he didn't, huh? (laughs) But it's true. I know what you mean. Look, if you're already on the podium, whether you're standing to the left of the world champion or the right of the world champion, not a major difference. But if you're standing in the middle and you have the title of world champion, massive difference. Yeah. Massive difference. So you guys put in 385 and everybody goes bonkers when they realize what's happening, including myself. Did you see the stream yet? Did you watch back? Like it doesn't show the back room. So I couldn't get what everyone meant by like everyone left the back room. But I think after missing, I actually felt the energy and I was like, this is weird. I just missed. Did, like, like, did you, did you, when you put that in though, I'm telling you, dude, everybody was standing up like the whole, like everyone in the venue was on their feet. I don't, I was standing up everyone in the warm up room who usually is just doing their thing because they're finished lifting ran to the sides. Like, did you see like everybody, were you like, holy fuck, everybody's <laughs> the, no. the vibe just changed. <laughs> I think at that point I was already in my zone, so I couldn't really see anything. <laughs> I mean, I could feel the energy, but like, I was like, okay, I'm just in my zone. Let's go. And when you walked out there and you did the pull, walk me through this experience here. I mean, like my setup is always the same. I'm always like, just pull. People have asked me what's going through your head. What's your setup? What's your cues? And I'm like, I have zero cues now at this point. I'm just like, Right leg, left leg, pull. <laughs> Even when it's 385, were you extra nervous? Or were you, and you know you're pulling to be a world champion? No, honestly, not. I was just, I was still trying to stick as well. Because then I was like, I knew I have nothing to lose. Right. Yeah. And when you, when it started leaving the ground, you get it past your knees, you lock it out, and it looked like for a second, you had done the impossible. Were you at that? And then it starts slipping out your hands on the right side before you got the down command. And then obviously you lose it. What were you thinking at that point? Well, usually on my deadlift, the left hand always slips first. And the left hand wasn't slipping. So I was like, okay, I'm good. No, sorry. The right hand always slips first. And the right hand wasn't slipping. And I was like, I'm good. Yeah. Then the left hand started slipping. You're like, damn and it, left like, hand. Damn. I've never been in this position before. Yeah. And this I was for- just like, let it go. Just. In that knee hyperextended for a second there, you were, you were fighting letting that slip, man. <laughs> you were as close to becoming a world champion as you possibly could get. If you had pulled it off and become a world champion with that kind of comeback, dog, forget about it. It would have been insane. I mean, look at you're a young man. You might still become a world champion, but 
in that particular moment, holy smokes. Um, right afterwards, were you disappointed? Were you excited? Were you, was it easy to fluff off? Cause you came so close. You came as close as it gets to becoming a world champion in the most improbable comfort behind upset victories. However, what makes it easier to digest and accept at no point were you ever winning until the very end? And you were telling yourself, even going into deadlifts, I'm probably pulling for bronze. So it wasn't like you were walking in this yeah. telling yourself, you know what I mean? So it's probably easier to digest, right? Yeah, so I was really like actually happy with my performance. And everyone was like, oh yeah, that's really, really good. Like right after pulling and like I felt the energy and I was like, poof, I just missed. And that was the celebration again. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah it's that difficult. felt strange. Yeah, it's difficult to celebrate a miss, right? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, like Robert Keller from like the US, it was like asking for a handshake, and I was like, okay, sure. I just missed the dude. <laughs> uh, dude, you got no idea. Everybody I... was going bonkers about it. <laughs> so afterwards, what's your final, what's your impressions about it all? Are you leaving this like hungry? Are you leaving this well, pun intended there? See what I did there? <laughs> but um are you leaving this telling yourself like, now I'm pulling for gold. Now I am, I'm a world's contender and this is all different. And you've wrapped your head around the fact that you're on everybody's radar, every weight class, every federation, they're all talking about you. And this is, this is it now. Yeah, I think. So before that I had the, everyone had asked me, are you going to do junior world? And I was like, it depends on how I perform at this. Like, We'll probably talk about that later, but I'll just touch on it now. And I was like, it depends on how I perform. And to be honest, if, I'd, if I didn't pull or attempt 385, I probably would have done Junior Worlds. Because for some reason, now that I get more hype, I'm like, you need to find a way to tone that down. Mm. I'm not trying to keep that hype up because I'm scared. Like, yeah, I'm actually scared of like trying to push too hard, leaning into the hype. I mean, at some point I'm gonna have to lean into the hype, but like right after a competition, it's like that's gonna force me to do what I don't want to do in like training. Because like my training is like I don't hit close to my competition numbers. I hit my best squats was like 265, and that was like during the peak. So when I'm not peaking, I'm not hitting 265. And now it's like I'm coming out of competition and I'm like, oh, I need to start hitting 270 in training. And that's how I get something fucked up. So I think now I'm trying to tone down that hype. I mean, I enjoy it, of course, who doesn't? But I'm trying to be smarter with my decisions and remain the same reasonable lifter I think I've been. I mean, I like to say I'm like a lazy lifter because I just do what I'm told to do. I don't try to push way harder than I need to or try to do extra stuff. I mean, now I'm doing extra stuff because I'm not preparing for competition. But I'm not trying to, like, overshoot my RPEs, try to go for RPE 10s, like, every single time. And that's why I'm, like, I'm just a lazy athlete. Just tell me what to do and I'm going to do it. So I need to tone down that hype, hype for now. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I feel. We talked about the junior worlds. And so here's the thing. Obviously, it's at the end of August in Istanbul, Turkey. Yeah. It's not a crazy trip. You know, it's not crossing. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not right next door, but it's not the craziest of trips for you. So that's nice. Yeah. 
you could become a world champion, which is nice. Like, obviously, I mean, that's more nice. That's amazing to have like world champion attached to your name, but the turnaround's pretty quick. And for you to build and hit certain goals and whatnot, the turnaround, you know, your, your numbers aren't going to go shooting up with that. Not in that time. And you, you have some ambitious goals that you want to hit. So, because initially talking in the DMs, I was like, my man, you could become a world champion, um, you know, break more world records. And then when you go in, like, then when you come back as champion versus champion and think about what that could be like. But then you had told me some of your other goals. Um, do you want to talk about your other goals right now? Or do you want? Well, I could share those. Like, I'm not the kind of person to usually share my goals. But, like, I think these ones are, like, ones I'm willing to share, definitely. Okay. So, let's see. So, so right now, I'm still a junior. And the current junior world record is 8-13. And that's by John Hack. So, that's one of my goals to break that. And because there's also the Europeans in December, and you can break world records at a regional competition, I'm like, why do junior worlds to try to break that? Why not do it at Europeans when I have more time to prep for that? Then the second goal at that is to also break the open world record as a junior. And that's Russ's record currently. I think that's 843 or so. I've calculated the numbers. I need to hit that. Do you want to hear the numbers? Let's hear it. Okay. Ideally, ideally, 290 squats. A 150 bench, I mean like 5 kg bench, realistic for me. And a 399 deadlift. Oh, three what? 99. Holy. F- I'm not going to hit 400 yet. <laughs> if I can. <laughs> 399. What is, so that's just. Like that's well into 800s because 400 kilos is 881 pounds. So we're t- yeah. holy fuck, man. But I guess you had 347 or sorry, you had 847 pounds locked out. You had 385 locked out. So this isn't, it's an astronomical numbers, but it's actually within reason that you'll be able to hit some stuff like this. Now to yeah. do it as a junior, because you, because w- w- you want, I'm looking at this timeline wise. This is your final year as a junior? Yeah, this is my final year as a junior. So you would be doing the John Hack record at Euros. That's in December, right? Yeah, that gives me enough time to actually prep for that. So you'll be 813 by December. And then the Russ Open record is the following year when you enter the Open? I mean, the record is like a rich goal for Europeans. I mean, if it's there, why not? But the main record is the junior record because I I have to do that now or never. So Russ's record is also a goal for Europeans, but I'm not the kind of person to try to chase numbers. I'm obviously chasing the gold there again. So I'm going to do what I need to win. And I'm not going to push myself unnecessarily. Unless it opens up where I'm chill, I'm calm. We could go for records. Why not? Because I mean, at this point, I'm like, oh, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I mean, at this point, I'm opening myself up to chasing bigger goals because going into this competition, I was like, bronze was like a rich goal for me. And now it's like, okay, I need to set like 
a higher basic goal and setting higher reach goals because it seems like I've just been limiting myself mentally. And like I told you, like trying to play the mental game of imagining myself doing this more would something I would like to try right now. And yeah, I mean, those are big goals. I know, I know those are crazy numbers, but. Doc, you got to believe, right? <laughs> if not you, no one else is gonna, you got to believe, man. Um, I mean, look at E13, you think about the names you're talking about, the records you're talking about, John Hack and Russell Orhe. Like those, you know, you, you achieve that. That's those, that's some mat, those are monster names that you'll be overtaking a, and then B, then you'll have Delaney Wallace at the world championships again. I mean, those are some big names, dude. John Hack is a legend. Russell Orhe a legend. And then Delaney Wallace is now the reigning world champion who will end up in Sheffield. Um, if you could tidy up some of that by the time world championships rolls around, oh my God. You, it'll, you take John Hack's record, junior record, there'll be plenty of hype, my friend. And in terms of hitting 813, um, or beat, I think 813 is his record, so 813.5 or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah, it makes sense that the juniors gives you more time to do so. If you need to expand and build European, sorry, Europeans gives you more time to do so. It, Cause you, if you need to expand and work, like you already know, it doesn't happen yeah. overnight. You, improvement doesn't happen. Like in like a, you know, you have to, you have to work, man. So it makes more sense. And if you're telling me what's bigger, a junior world title, but you have to turn around with peaking and you don't have that big body of work or John Hack's junior world record for a history making 813.5 or whatever it is. And there's no at the European Open in the Open Championships. And the European Opens is going to have tons of reigning world champions there, like Leah Bavois and blah, 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 right? 100%. It's the Europeans with that open, that junior world record in the Open at the Europeans for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Because I don't want to like, I don't want to bring down like the junior world title, but like, I mean, I would always have to have that like behind the world title is like junior world champion. And you're not, if I ask you to name like all the junior world champions of like the past three years, you can't name them. And, but you can name who has the world record at the moment. And for me right now, that feels bigger. And also right now it's like everyone is like the best 83s are in the USAPL and it has remained that way and I can't argue with that but I want to change that I want it to be like okay when you say okay the best 83s are in the USAPL you're going to be like uh are they but right now we can all agree that okay the best 83s are in the USAPL but my goal is to change that and I can't do that in 12 weeks and if I do that in 12 weeks, I will have to pick again for Europeans in like another 12 weeks. So why not just use 24 weeks to do something big? That's the way I view it now. Except for Delaney Wallace. Remember, he did 822.5 and he beat everybody except for Russ. But you're yeah. right. The rest of the 82.5s in the USAPL, it's very stacked division. I know, I know what your point is. But, yeah. um, but we can't forget what Delaney did. Last time he's at the USAPL Nationals, he took the silver 
only yeah, and the yeah. only person who could beat him was Russ. And he's, you know, so he's capable, but I do know your point where. Yeah, that's um, why one of my goals is like Russ's record at the Europeans. Because I want to, I want to force him back to the, to the IPF, honestly. I tell you what, dog, <laughs> you do that. Listen, I, did you hear the Russell or he podcast that when he came yeah, on? Yeah. So he said, end of the year, he's reevaluating. You know, he's going to probably, this is probably going to be a year to year thing for someone like Russ. Um, you know, where you just evaluate what, what are your goals for the next year and what do you want to do, et cetera. And Delaney Wallace just took the world title. He's off to Sheffield. Um, and, you know, so that's something that Russ has got to consider. Wow, shit. That could have been me with a world title and off to Sheffield. Uh, maybe I don't care about that. Maybe I do. It's, it's something to consider though. And then he's looking around and all of a sudden, everybody is talking about Enna and this crazy deadlift and like, it's the biggest lift that we've seen. Some people like, you know, Bob Matthews, who was the best lifter at USAPL. Um, it's like, that's the biggest lift I've ever seen. I don't care. It was a miss, like just period. So if you end up breaking world records and whatnot, this is some of the enticement. And if you break a world record, if you take his world record, and then you say to, you reach across and say, my friend, Delaney Wallace is the world champion going to Sheffield. I just took your record in the IPF. You got unfinished business now. Come on over. Who knows, man? A guy like Russ, I mean, he's got he's got other intangibles to think about. But if he's thinking, what thinks, what excites me? Because he has dealt with a lot of the USAPL. I mean, this is all he's been doing for the last five years, right? Coming through the USAPL. If he's like, I could, I would like a new challenge, and uh, and I would, and then obviously it all leads to Chef. The winner gets to go to Sheffield the following year. Shit, man! As a sports fan. I would love to see it. Yeah. I mean, I respect all these guys. Like, I think Ross was one of the most watched powerlifters I watched when I was starting. And I want to, like, actually go up against them because I haven't been in, like, a lot of competitions in my life. And now I'm like, okay, I need to be in competitions. I need that pressure on me because I need to learn how to handle it. So... Yeah, that's one of my goals. That's also one of the reasons I'm like, okay, I'm going to share my big goals and actually try to go for them because I've been chilling way too much. Listen, well, okay, listen. Looking at your open powerlifting, like your your record in open powerlifting, is this, is this correct? You have yes. three competitions? Yes, I've done like a fourth one on sanction. Like my first competition was on sanction. So yeah, you only yeah, have three one. sanctioned competitions. Yeah. Two of them are world championships. Yeah. Did, did that dude? <laughs> that's insane. You have yeah, that's why I said I've been chilling. You've been chilling all right. <laughs> Holy you've been chilling all right. You, that's probably why you weren't in Delaney Wallace's video. He's like, dog, you I don't have competition video on you yet three you have three official competitions two of them are world championships and one of them in which you took a bronze medal and podiumed and had the craziest deadlift we've ever seen with 385 kilo talk about an ins you know what i take back what i said earlier about making small jumps in your career you're making big <laughs> jumps man this is i take it all back i didn't realize you've already had three competitions this is insane dude yeah, I mean, like two years of COVID took out that's true. some of the plans. Yeah, well, that's fair. So. That's fair. 
But like still, last year, yeah, last year I also elected to skip Europeans. So, because that was like really close to Worlds last year also. And I think I'm not really, I don't want to try to pick as often as possible right now. I mean, I'm still young, so it probably won't destroy me, but I want to try to remain smart because I've seen juniors burn out easily. Like since coming into this sport, I've seen a lot of juniors burn out and I don't want that to be me. So that's one of the reasons why I'm not competing as often as my body can probably handle. Yeah. It, like it depends. It's different for everybody. Some people, um, when they train, they're not sub max, they're closer to the edge. So they can compete often like turbo tiff. I just did a podcast with Penn and turbo tiff, um, turbo tiff, heavy singles, close to close to her max singles. And it works for her. She has the craziest 47 kilo total we've ever seen. She's the greatest 47 of all time. So she can compete often and being at the upper edge is good for her, but not everyone's the same. You do sub max lifting and training like, like crazy sub max to the point where you almost just have that faith. It's going to be there on the day of some people hit PRs in the gym. Some people are like, I don't hit PRs at all in the gym. I'm totally sub max. And when I show up to competition, I just have to have to have faith that it, it might possibly be there. You almost jumped 50 pounds over your, your best deadlift or no, you failed 50 pounds less in the gym failed 50 pounds less. And you went 50 pounds over your biggest failure on competition day and almost hit it. Like everybody's different, but when you know your body and you're like, I just don't peak like that. I don't have those kind of, I'm not, I'm not maxing out that often. It's good for you to at least recognize that. Um, it hurts in terms of creating social media hype. Cause everyone wants to follow somebody who's crushing numbers all the time. And if you're like, Hey, RP six today. <laughs> like, sorry guys. It is what it is. You know, it's like, all right, well, whatever. But all, if, if this is what leads you to beating John hacks, junior record, you know, getting, if not taking Russ's overall record, getting close enough that when you say, Hey, Russ, come back, let's dance. We're going to have some fun. Hey, Delaney, I'll see you at the world championships again. And it's me, huh? I'm the guy. And you know, you're talking like that all of a sudden it's like, Oh shit. Whatever gets you there, man. Yeah. First you got Germans at Europeans and you got some records. Yeah. That, yeah. That's going to be fun. Yeah. I mean, like Germans is like, he's actually strong. I think like we could hit like at least 800. He could. Yeah. Ger- look, I'm glad yeah. Germans is here. Um, because he's, he's capable, he, uh, 787.5 and he's capable of doing 800. I mean, yeah. that's it. That's in the, that's, that's in the asking by the time Europeans rolls around, Jerns is probably into the 800s. If he has a good day, obviously, I mean, things can happen, but yeah. I think both of you guys are into the 800s, which is good. You guys would be, if I'm not mistaken, the first Europeans to go into the 800s. Cause Tim is from New Zealand and he's in the 800s, but he's from New Zealand. The other ones are yeah. Americans. Yeah, I think so. And that's what we need, man. That's what the 83 kilo class needs. To your point that you want to see the 83 kilo class internationally thrive, you need Europeans getting into the 800. So then if you have Tim Monogatti in the 800s, a couple of Europeans, yourself and Germans in the 800s, now when Delaney shows up, if Delaney has a day where he's 802.5, that might not cut it, man. You know, the world is getting spicier and spicier. 
You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. We'll see. Mm -hmm. Only time will tell. Only time will yeah. tell, man. But the, it's it's some exciting goals, man. I'm glad you had, I had you on the podcast. Um, what are some of your other long term goals? For powerlifting? Yeah, like where do you where do you want to end up? I think like obviously an open world championship, right? But are you thinking? Uh, so you have your short term goals of European Championship, John Hack's Junior World Record, Russell Lorre's Open World Record, and obviously a world title. But do you think about moving up to 93s? Is there certain numbers you want to hit? What are some of the things after you do business in 83s? Uh, so like I said, I don't really like chase numbers because I've always seen that go bad for a lot of people. So I learned from people's experience, not from mine. So Smart man. <laughs> yeah. So for the 93s, um, right now, like I said, my deadlift just goes down. Like, it's really bad at like 88 kg. Like my positioning is just really off. And I mean, I could definitely gain more muscle and build into that class like much later. But right now, I think I'm still going to be 83 for a while. I mean, I'm not even having to cut like weight. I've never had to use a sauna. So I'm pretty much still chilling. Like I said, <laughs> I need like a pressure to like actually push me to do more because when you have no pressure on you, it's like there's no reason to do much or much more than you need to because why would i um in the future i just want to stay healthy right now just want to stay healthy and keep pushing maybe two competitions a year not trying to do like crazy amounts yeah uh, for the 93s i don't think i see myself moving into that class for at least two years or i if i start winning the world championships at 83s, I would definitely like to push it as far as possible. Like, start pushing for like three times, four times. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's powerlifting right now. Just stay healthy as possible. That's main goal. Well, something to consider. Um, and, and that's probably a realistic good, because you're still young, you're still a junior. Just clinching the 83 kilo title is going to be tough enough, you know, hitting, you got ambitious goals, 83. So yeah, you got, you got work to do still and you're young. So yeah, don't overstretch. However, I'll put this out there for you. If you ever didn't bulk into 93, you didn't bulk it. You stay 84, 85, not much. You just don't cut. And you do Europeans one year as essentially an 83 who didn't cut the 83 kilo deadlift world record is 373.5 and you had 385 locked out so just as like a another notch on your resume another you know caveat to add and that's chance mitchell chance yeah. mitchell is the deadlift demon you know chance mitchell won a world title off of that deadlift so if ever you were just gonna have fun in a in a in an international competition just to bolster the resume and get more hype and get people talking. You might just come in as a light 93 at some point and be like, let me grab another record. So now I have world records in two different weight classes. And yeah, look at me, if you're, if you're building your resume and you're like, I got John Hack's total record, you know, take a world title at night 83. I got an 83 kilo world record already. And I add on to that, the 93 kilo world record. Like you're just adding things to your resume. It's something to keep in mind. And that's something you yeah. could do without jumping full commit. You don't have to go full 93. You just be, be. Yeah, just walk in someday. 
That's it, man. That's it. And it's Chance Mitchell's deadlift record. This is not some, this is a real deadlift artist world record. This is Chance Mitchell, the reigning world champion. That's his record that you'd be going after. People against. And like I said, like you need the pressure. Like if someone takes that record from him, it's like definitely going to push him harder. Like 100%. That's how like sports works. So who knows someday. Dude, let, let, let me just throw this out there. Imagine you and Chance in the same competition if it's a Europe, if it's a Euro, uh, Arnold UK or whatever the shit. At some point, imagine you and him having a deadlift battle. Squat, bench, he's got it. That's fine. He's, he's a weight class up for real. Can you imagine you guys going toe-to-toe in deadlifts? And he's a reigning world champion, and you, God knows what you'll be by the time you get to that. If you guys go toe-to-toe, stop. Stop, man. You that session, that deadlift session. If you guys like game on, let's let's go toe to toe. Stop, bro. Man, it, that's it. You know what I mean? Like, in, if I'm, I'm just being honest. If you guys ever arrange something where it's like, hey, listen, you know, first do your first, do your other goals first. Hit the John Hack Junior record, and you know, make a push for the 83s, whatever. But if it ever lines up, and you guys ever can agree on a competition where you guys meet. Squat and bench, you're not going to catch up to them. You know, fuck the total. But when the deadlift, when the bar hits the ground, that's when your mini competition between the two of you starts. And that's (laughs) when we're going to have some fun. (laughs) That God, man, please, dog. That would be crazy. It'd be crazy, man. It'd be a deadlift session for the ages. It would be an absolutely crazy deadlift session that I would, that, that has to almost happen. Um, Anyways, dude, look at me. I'm acting like I'm your fucking manager, but I'm, are these ideas not good? There's some good ideas. I huh? mean, they're great ideas. They are great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they are great ideas, though. In terms of hype, my God, man, um, it'd be interesting. But yeah, me, I'll throw it out there. We'll see what happens. But until then, focus on the Europeans and go for those records. Yeah. But listen, man, look, at, um, yeah, we're closing in on two hours here. I appreciate your time, dog. Um, man, it was nice talking to you again, dude. It's always nice talking to you, man. We got to keep in contact, obviously. I'm sad yeah, I'm not going to see you in Istanbul, Turkey, but if I'm honest, it's probably the right decision now that I know your goals. Yeah, you're, you're not going to do all that, and like tur- you'd have to start peaking already, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? You got no time to do this. Um, yeah. but let's keep in contact, man. When you're rolling into the junior or into the European Championship, reach out, you know, maybe we'll do another podcast either before or afterwards. And um, let's keep in contact, man. I'm excited. I'm glad you're here, dog. Your, your 385 is one of the most memorable moments of my commentating career. And I have commentated on a lot of sessions, my friend. I'm uh, glad to hear that. If you, since 2016, I've been commentating every session, every juniors, every masters, every open, every single lift. If you think about all the lifts I've commentated on, that was one of the most memorable. So that's, that's saying something. But um, thank you for coming on, dude. Stay healthy. Keep in contact. Thank you. We'll be be talking in the DMs. All right. Thank you very much. Peace, man. Six up. Nice evening.